You're listening to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, dipietro.com. So uh, I believe, you know, this is a, a very serious situation with what's going to happen and how uh, the political leaders in the northern part of the state are going to react to exactly what's going to happen now regarding Zamborano Hospital. So if in fact, um, if this is allowed to go forward, this is a classic political, they're just going to shift the problem north. So the State Property Committee, they're the ones that are going to discuss housing options for families at this, they're calling it, quote, the the hospital campus, but make no mistake about it, that Rhode Island's going to consider building a homeless village uh, at the Zambrano Hospital campus in Boroughville. The plan would use cottages to house about, now they say 10 families. We already know because of what happened in Cranston that they had 500 of these, quote, cottages. What a nice, they really, they're sheds is what they are. And notice they're saying families. So look at the, and the verbiage is important here because the media is playing right along. The plan would use cottages to house families as opposed to they're going to use little sheds to put homeless. And as we've talked about, many of the homeless are, the reason they're homeless, a lot of them is they're sex offenders and then no landlord wants to rent to them. And obviously there's, you know, drug abuse, there's alcohol problems. Listen, what, what I am, am trying to get across here, I'm not being insensitive to people that have fallen into that. And that's why, you know, it's important that we have safety nets to help individuals that fall into something like that. This is different. This is what they're doing in California. This is Governor McKee experimenting with folks. This isn't, as I mentioned, this isn't low-income housing. This is no-income free housing. That's what it is, putting people in essentially like beach houses, tiny little sheds, just to keep them, oh, and they want to get them out of Providence. So now we're going to find out if Senate Minority Leader, State Senator Jessica De La Cruz, is she going to step up to the plate on behalf of the people of Burville? Is Representative David Place and others, by the way, are they going to step up? Now, I received an email from someone yesterday saying, Juan, the, 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 it, uh, Zamborano is 10 miles from the closest stores and things like that. Listen, they'll find a way. They'll find a way. They'll arrange for the state to bring them in for day trips. They're not doing, notice, you, you always have to look at where are they going and where are they not going. And so they're not going to Cumberland. And they're not going to Cranston. The mayor of Cranston put up a big, you know, made some noise along with some of the city council people when they were talking about building this homeless village on the state property that's in the city of Cranston, the Pastori complex that already houses Harrington Hall, the state's largest men's shelter. You also, obviously, you know, they have the prison there um, <clears throat> in Elena Slater. So, Mayor Hopkins was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're not going to put McKeeville, you're not going to build a homeless village with 500 people in, in the city of Cranston. So right now, path of least resistance, we're going to put it at Zamborano. And of course, you know, they're going to, it's all in the verbiage. It's all how it's being described. Now, if, if someone were to say, would you have a problem if we help some homeless families and we put them in in some cottages. Uh, you know, most people would say, oh, no, you know, yeah, homeless families. You know, you picture the little kids want to go out and play badminton. Yeah, that's the least we can do. We'll put them in those cottages. But and that, that's, that's not really what it's going to be. It's, that's how it starts <clears throat> in this business that, oh, you know, it'll only be a small amount. Yeah, it always starts off that way. Until, you know, suddenly then there's 50 and then there's 100 and then there's 500. 
And then it becomes too big. Well, you can't move all these people. They've become comfortable there. There was there was their homes. I regard this as this is, it's not even a Band-Aid. What Governor McKee is doing, he's shifting um, his homeless problem north instead of insane the people, instead of being at the Cranston Street Armory. Now, the problem, though, is they want to be so much of this is they want to be close to where the drugs are. It's just a fact. <clears throat> they want to be close to where the drugs are. And that's why many times people, you know, and, and I would interview some of them sometimes, you see different stories. They may live in Pawtucket. They may live in Woodsocket, wherever they live. But they get on the bus and they go into Providence. And where they go into Providence is because, sadly, that's where they can, that's where they can buy drugs. So this business, I'm anxious to see who's going to step up. Who's going to step up? Or it may, maybe the residents of Burrowville are saying, fine, bring them in. Least we can do. Set them up at the Zamborano Hospital campus um, where they're going to build a homeless village of sheds. But just be cautious. Every time these homeless encampments come in somewhere, crime goes up. Theft goes up. Ask the people at the Nilo Hotel. Young kids being harassed at bus stops. People looking out their back window, suddenly there's someone urinating in their backyard, someone sleeping in their backyard. All hours of the night, people walking around, breaking into homes, breaking into cars. It's, it's, it's moving, it's like a moving crime circus is what it is. And then the bleeding hearts that want to put them there are never around to face any of the consequences. So, but this is critical because if this moves forward, and they now say this will be the pipeline. You get these homeless people, boom, get them out of Providence and ship them right up to Burrowville. And that will become the Armory North. Uh, Zamborano Hospital in Burrowville will become Cranston Street Armory North. That will be the new pipeline. Get a bus going. Every time you see homeless people, grab them and just ship them up there. Let them know they can party they can do whatever they want and they want their own places i understand that but a big part of this is is you know because in a shelter you can't bring in weapons you can't bring in drugs you can't bring in booze you can't bring in dogs so this is going to be i'm more interested to see how the local officials are going to react to this news that they're about to turn zambrano hospital in burrowville into this new homeless village that they're going to set up and see if there's any pushback on it because if you're governor mckee the one thing that he wants to do in his administration is just get them out of providence they're tired of them being at the cranston street armory they're tired of them being at the state house i'm not saying keep in mind i'm not talking that it's solving the problem um, it's not even a band-aid this is just you're transferring the problem somewhere else they just feel like we want to move them. It's like a, like a herd. You want to just move the herd north, get them out of the city, get them, make it the problem up north, make it a Burrowville problem. So they want to take a Providence problem and turn it into a Burrowville problem. And as I mentioned, part of the problem is, you know, Burrowville doesn't have uh, a town mayor. It doesn't have a mayor. I'm not sure how effective the council is. It's it's also problematic if you're listening right now on Burrowville is because of the virtue of the fact that it's, quote, on state land. Zambrano Hospital's on state land. Now, remember, Gina Raimondo was going to close Zambrano Hospital. But thanks to some of the elected leaders, now you've got to keep the jobs going. And people jumped in. Oh, you can't close Zambrano. And... You know, I don't know what the plan was going to be, but Raimondo, they were moving to close that. They were going to consolidate it. I don't know if that was going to be turned into something else. You're listening to The John DePietro Show. The Coesed Inn, 226 Coesed Avenue in West Warwick, Rhode Island tradition since 1977. Delicious food, great atmosphere, whether it's lunch or dinner or drinks in the lounge. They can also accommodate large groups. A great meal, a feast, is waiting for you at the Coesed Inn. Stop it and see them. 
all year round, 226 Coesed Avenue in West Warwick. They're waiting for you at the Coesed Inn. You're listening to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. Folks, joining us right now, former Chief of Staff of the National Security Council, and it's Fred. And Fred, I want to make sure I pronounce your name, last name correctly. Is it Flights? Fred Flights? Yes. All right. Fred Flights. Fred, um, I want to start off. You know, there's just been, uh, we've been through this period of time, and your expertise is foreign affairs. Let's just start off with, I'm very curious to hear you sum up what you feel our situation is right now with China. Well, I think China is an existential threat to our security. It's an immediate threat. It's a growing threat over the long term. Uh, Clearly, uh, relations with China have seriously deteriorated over the past two years. And I think we've seen in every realm, uh, economic, military, intelligence, uh, that Iran, uh, China is in, is engaged in basically a war with the United States for global domination. And um, what's troubling is that I think relations have deteriorated because China rela- relations with China have been so badly handled by this administration, both from foreign policy incompetence across the board, from a weak foreign policy, uh, a foreign policy that prioritizes climate change over serious threats, and uh, just not recognizing the threat from China, I, I think, has caused this threat to significantly expand. And I'm, I'm worried where it's going. Fred, how would you describe, you know, because I was having this discussion with someone and they said that China is our enemy. Would you say, are they our enemy? Are they our adversary? You know, I was arguing, OK, um, I was arguing that, you know, Mexico, Canada, they're. Uh, competitors of ours, but they're allies. But how would you describe our relationship? How would, what is China to us? This is part of the problem with this administration that says that China is a competitor. Sometimes they call it a strategic competitor. No, Mexico and France and Japan are competitors. Yep. Okay. They're competing for influence, for trade. I like to call China an adversary. I don't like to use the word enemy. Right. So I would like to have a peaceful relationship with it. But we need to recognize that this is not a state that wants to be engaged in a fair competition with other states. This is a state that wants to do anything to win. That's not competing. That's not uh, uh, sportsmanship, if you can have that on the global stage. You know, when we compete for trade with the French, somebody wins, somebody loses. People aren't happy. Uh, but, you know, we, we, when we're competing with China, it, it, it's, it's a whole different level. Would it be fair then, Fred, to say that North Korea and Iran, those are two countries, maybe Syria, they would fit the category of not an adversary, but maybe maybe they fall more, more into the category of enemy? I guess that's right, yeah. Okay. I, I still I, I still try not to use the word enemy sure. because I, okay. I, I'd like to salvage relations, but yep. I, they're certainly not competitors. Okay. Now, what about Russia? I mean, they're the same way. They... they I don't think we would describe them as our enemy, but they're definitely an adversary. It's important that we that we the Russians don't think that we're enemies because we we have to find a way to end this terrible war in Ukraine and stop Russia from moving towards China. Certainly China's act. I'm, I'm certainly Russia is acting like an enemy. Uh, and it, it, like it's led by a, a, a ruthless autocrat who, who is, uh, you know, frankly, just as diabolical as the Chinese. But the problem is that Russia doesn't have the resources. Russia is a, is a, a shadow of what the Soviet Union used to be. Putin doesn't want to accept that. It's a much, much weaker country. It has a, an economy, I think, the size of Italy's. And uh, it's dangerous because of its military and its nuclear arsenal. Uh, but it is a country in serious decline. Fred, I'm curious, again, folks, we're speaking with Fred Flights, former chief of staff, National Security Council under the Trump administration. Um, what, what, what was the dynamic? How could someone like Putin be so wrong about the invasion of Ukraine? Well, you know, when you the, the, the advantage of democracies is that leaders are come in and out and and if they don't succeed they're voted out or they fail but when you have um 
situation like this with autocracies or dictatorships, you have leaders who stay forever, whether they're competent or not. They're surrounded by yes men who tell them what they want to hear. Um, Putin underestimated the strength of the Ukrainian military and the capabilities of his own military, my guess is because he wasn't told the truth. He wasn't given realistic assessments because people were afraid to give it to him. Yep. And he was living in a fantasy world. He had this distorted view of history that Ukraine really isn't a country. And uh, now we have this uh, disastrous uh, stalemate that uh, he's involved in his country and in Ukraine. Um. Fred, I'm just also um, curious right now, what what do you think, what is the, the biggest, um, as far as the United States, what are some hot spots around the world that, that you take note of and that should be on the radar and maybe sometimes they're not getting the coverage they should be getting? Well, we talked about uh, Russia and China, yeah. but uh, really there's been very little focus on North Korea now. Um, uh, North Korean President Yoon was uh, welcomed to Washington for a state visit and a state dinner in Washington this week. But that dinner was rushed out. And the reason is because the Biden administration really has neglected North Korea. It has a part-time envoy to deal with North Korea. Um, the North Koreans tested a record 75 missiles last year. They may be preparing a seventh underground nuclear test. And I'm, I'm happy to see that the Biden administration is moving towards addressing the security concerns of South Korea and to address this uh, growing threat from North Korea. But uh, really, they are they, they have uh, quite a ways to catch up. Now, Fred, pivoting back just for a moment, Russia, Ukraine, you know, we, we're hearing, first of all, this is obviously going on much longer than than Putin would have thought, maybe even others thought that that it would happen. But how do you see the next what, – what's going to be important over the next three to six months in that conflict? I think that Ukraine is entering a difficult time. I believe they'll make some significant gains on the battlefield during this spring offensive. But Ukraine is not going to take back most of its territory and has to face the reality that the high level of military support it's getting from the United States is not going to continue indefinitely. And I fault both the Ukrainian government and the U.S. government for not emphasizing the urgency of peace talks and reaching a ceasefire. Biden's approach of, we'll, well, we will arm Ukraine for as long as it takes, is not realistic and will not be supported in Congress. And he doesn't seem to have a strategy beyond that. Now, Europe sees that we had to find a way out of this. The Brits, the, the Germans, and the French, they're pressing the Ukrainian government to to seriously move towards peace talks and to come up with a peace plan. Uh, that's something the Biden administration needs to do. Now, Fred, where we're speaking right now, 45 minutes, I could get in the car and in 40 minutes, 45 minutes, be where that that airman, the National Guard, um, where they arrested him over, over the documents. I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on just that whole situation, how it was treated. Um, it, it's, um, it, it, it's obviously you know, very puzzling, I find it, to why someone 21 years old exhibiting the behavior he was exhibiting would have access to that kind of intelligence. No, these are good questions. This this gentleman was 21 years old, but he did have a top secret clearance. He was working in a computer tech job uh, at, at Fort Bragg. So he had access to top secret systems, but there apparently was not uh, proper monitoring and auditing of what he accessed, monitoring and auditing of what he was printing. And I think the vetting process to give him access to, to a top secret clearance clearly uh, was flawed. And another part of this is that there's just too many people in the U.S. government who have access to information that they don't have a need to know. Uh, so, I mean, on multiple levels, there are serious problems here. We have to have – there has to be an aggressive program to remind people who have security clearances that they have to honor the agreement they made to protect classified information. And when we re-up people for clearances, they have to go through a robust reinvestigation process. We can't wave them through. Was, is, was he, is he a – Fred, in your mind, is he a whistleblower? No, it looks like this is someone who is trying to impress his buddies in, yeah. a, gaming, in a game room. Uh, you know, I, I haven't heard that he claimed that, but it doesn't doesn't look that way. No. And Fred, just finally, I mean, if you could touch on, 
you know, the danger of leaking out of who we have listening devices with and our conversations. And I mean, many times people throw around, you know, it's a risk of national security. But but I mean, this this seems to fit under the guise of potentially the information he was putting out. It, it certainly it doesn't strengthen our national security. No, it, it it talked about American intelligence sources and methods. Those the most those are the most important secrets, uh, confidential discussions we've had with our allies. Some of these intelligence systems, when they're compromised, they, you know, we lose them, and they may have cost billions of dollars to develop, and lives are put at risk when sensitive intelligence is is released. Sometimes uh, people who took a real chance by helping the United States by telling us something uh, that's going on in their governments, maybe a Russian, maybe a Chinese citizen, maybe an Iranian. The Iranian government now knows who those people are. They could be killed. Again, folks, former Chief of Staff, National Security Council in the Trump administration, Fred Flights. Fred, an honor to speak with you. Keep up the great work, and we'll talk to you again. Anytime. Thanks much. This portion of the John DePietro Show, it's brought to you by Lawn Doctor, your best lawn ever guaranteed. And I can tell you with my own experience what a fantastic job they did and have done with my lawn. The easiest thing to do is log on to their website. It's LawnDoctor.com. LawnDoctor.com. Put in your zip code, your best lawn ever guaranteed it's lawn doctor of rhode island you can call them 401-392-1025 but log onto their website lawndoctor.com folks you're listening to the john DePietro show on am 1380 and 99.9 fm joining us right now on the line he is the attorney general for rhode island and it is attorney general peter narona uh, General Nerona, thank you for joining us, and uh, it's great to talk to you. Good morning, John. Good to be with you as well. Uh, Attorney General Nerona, I want to just first touch on, uh, I think it's a very valid comparison that you put out uh, on a tweet regarding how your office matches up against that of Delaware, and if you could just touch on that a little bit. Yeah, so... Um... Obviously, I have contact with my fellow attorneys general around the country, and one of the ones I have a lot of contact with is Kathy Jennings in Delaware because she has exactly the same mission that I do, which is uh, unique to us. We are both the DA. There are no DAs in Delaware. There are no DAs in Rhode Island, so we have all of the uh, criminal um, uh, prosecution responsibilities, but we also have all of the functions of uh, the attorney general in other areas like healthcare and environmental and defending the state. So our missions are exactly the same, and that's unique. Connecticut, for example, is very different. They have county attorneys in addition to the AG. Massachusetts has DAs, as everybody knows, I think, in addition to the AG. So we have the same mission. And the states, as everyone knows, I think, too, are the same size. They have about a million people that reside in each state. Many of the same issues. Um, Wilmington has some of the same violent crime issues that Providence does, so they are very, very, very similar. And um, I have about 250 staff, and Kathy Jennings in Delaware has over 500. I have about 100 lawyers, and Kathy Jennings has about 220. So I'm, I am literally half the size. We are literally half the size of the office in Delaware. And so, you know, it's a good point of comparison, and I think it explains why our folks are really stretched. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, it's one of the reasons I'm asking for more resources. I am, I'm not asking for anything close to doubling the size of my office, far from it. You know, if you put my ad, my budget ask in context, it, it would, you know, it's really a very small addition. But it's definitely necessary for us to continue to do our jobs at the level where Islanders should expect. General, I like how um, you also have pointed out that there are, I believe you said there are 300 lawyers on the payroll for the state. Only 100 of them work for you that's that's you know 200 that are just then spread out around state government yeah and look i think um all state agencies need lawyer help you know and i don't want to you know talk to exactly how many they ought to have but it does strike me that when there i mean i think we put the count at 330 that when there are 230 lawyers in the state 
330, I have 100 or 230 elsewhere, I think it points up, you know, some of the challenges that I face and perhaps a, a need for, if I can't get additional resources, um, that perhaps lawyers and other agencies will just need to step up a little bit um, and handle some of the, <clears throat> excuse me, John, more routine cases. That my office often is tasked to handle things like slip and fall cases, you know, things that don't require our expertise, but nevertheless, we get uh, we get involved in simply because the reaction has always been, well, just send that to the attorney general and, and they'll do it. And my folks have really tried to do that. But what I have found um, by uh, by really talking to my people um, is that we are at the point where we just cannot do that any longer if we don't get more help. Um, we're just really overburdened there, and it is really putting a lot of strain on our ability to defend the state. It's not just you know that my people can't handle it. I mean, they can. I mean, they're working really hard, but the problem is cases take too long uh, to resolve. Interest, John, I know you'll appreciate this. You have a head for math and, and, and interest, uh, is running at 12% from the wow. time those cases are filed. So yep. we have to get those cases resolved and, and resolved quickly. And I just don't have the personnel uh, to do it. We're defending 600 cases with, with less than 10 people. I, I would say that government litigation unit is around seven to eight people. So they're defending 600 cases where $70 million is where we put the exposure with 12% on top of that. I got to have more people to be able to do that, or I'm just going to have to reduce. You know, my plan, John, is if I don't get the resources, is I think really reasonable. You know, it's just to stop taking cases for a period of time until we can get our caseloads down to where they should be, where we can represent the state capably. And my hope is that some of those other agencies, lawyers, will be able to step up and, and handle that. You know, I, I was on a, we were on a Zoom with the Department of Health about a lab issue. And, yeah, there are four or five lawyers that work for the Department of Health, including one of my former uh, lawyers who was hired by them on a contract basis. Uh, it seems to me that, that some of those lawyers, particularly if they were in my office previously, ought to be able to handle some of their some of their litigation. Folks, again, we're speaking with Attorney General Peter Narona. General, I'm curious how this caseload matches up against your perspective of when you were U.S. attorney. Well, to put it in comparison, John, and I can also go back to when I was an assistant AG under Attorneys General Pine and, and White House. So let me start with the U.S. Attorney's Office. So by comparison, the U.S. Attorney's Office with about, I would say, 15, 16 prosecutors, 21, 22 lawyers total, but maybe a few more now. But when I was there, 21, 22 lawyers or so, 15, 16 doing criminal cases. We would charge, I mean, I think our high in any given year is because I really – I really tried to raise those numbers it was maybe 130 cases, but it was on average just 100 cases. And, you know, they weren't all big, complicated cases. Some right. were fairly simple firearms cases. Some were immigration cases. You know, someone had been deported and come back, you know. So certainly some were complicated. You know, I think of the Speaker Fox case that we did there. And the case involving a Navy base was a big bribery scheme, scheme down there. But they weren't all incredibly complicated cases. By comparison, the 70 prosecutors in my office, they have 30 people doing civil and 70 doing uh, prosecution. Um, although 70 prosecutors right now are handling around 14,000 cases. Huh. We're charging 5,000 cases a year, John. Wow. And, they're not, and they're not small cases. I mean, no. many of these cases, well, they're all felonies for one thing. And, you know, and some of them are significant, significant cases, crimes against children, homicides, uh, serious narcotics trafficking, gun trafficking. And uh, though, you know, my prosecutors are handling 250 to 300 cases each. Those are all-time highs. When I was in the office back in the late 90s, early 2000s, you didn't you didn't get to 150. I mean, if you were in the narcotics unit, you might be over 100. You know, between 100 and 125. The rest of us were under. I wasn't in that unit. The rest of us were, you know, were managing anywhere 50 to 75. You know, maybe it got close to 100. I mean, these caseloads are strikingly high. And if you were to just come through my office and just look at the people, um, you know, in their offices, you know, they don't complain. They are mostly on the young side and they have a lot of enthusiasm and, yep. and, uh, and, and confidence and ready to get in the arena attitude. But it's too many cases for them to handle capably. I'm yeah. all around the office. You know, I'm trying to do healthcare, John, with one lawyer. I have one one lawyer dedicated wow. to healthcare by statute. And it's you know the healthcare challenges we face. We yes. have the merger we had to deal with. And I have to pull people from elsewhere in the office to be able to do these large healthcare transactions. So what does that mean for Rhode Island? What's the cost, if you will? 
Well, if you think body cam uh, body cams are a good thing on police officers, well, it took us an extra year to get that done because I had to pull the person working on my body cam hmm. program to work on the antitrust part of the merger. I had to pull my consumer uh, lawyer. It's a great young lawyer. Steve Provazzo came to us from Wilmer Hale, one of the best law firms in the world, wants to do public service. He's terrific. But I had to put him on the antitrust part of the merger uh, as well. And so our consumer protection efforts, which are really stepping up, got really delayed because of that. And so and so, um, I really need to expand in that area energy. You know, we were the ones fighting for Rhode Islanders um, with, with the sale of Narragansett Electric from the grid to Rhode Island Energy. Only only my office intervened there, John. The governor's office wasn't in that case. Uh, right. Only we were there. And in fact, we got a bad decision out of one of the agencies, uh, you know, the, Depart- uh, the Division of Public Utilities and Carriers, that we had to go to court and get flipped around. So... They actually argued against me in court when I'm trying to get hmm. more money for Rhode Islanders. So, so our battles are have been have been fierce, uh, but I think we have really stepped up for Rhode Islanders. And, and what I've asked for in this year's budget is a modest investment in the office of 20 f 20 personnel. Uh, so I'm not doubling; it's just 20 on top of the 250 I've got. I won't be if I get them all. I'll only be 270. I won't be at the 500 uh, Delaware has. But I can I can uh, point to every one of those positions as to why they are necessary. And, you know, people talk about my cold case unit that I'm asking for to bring justice for for victims that have waited a long time where the trail has gone cold. Right. That's a three hundred and fifty thousand dollar ask, John. It's, it's not like we're talking about millions of dollars. Yeah. All in, it's two million dollars. And we've brought five hundred million dollars back to the state over the last uh, four years of, of my of my tenure. So I think it, I think we've demonstrated that if you invest in us, we'll deliver. And it's one of the reasons I waited so long um, to make this ask. And I wanted to prove first that if the public and the government had had confidence in us, we would deliver for Rhode Islanders. And I I like to think we've done that. General, and again, we're sweet with Attorney General Peter Doroni. Do you think also the system is maybe not, that we have in the state, is not properly set up? for the situation you find yourself in advocating in your office? I mean, think about it. Most of the time you're supposed to hire some expensive lobbyists and then they show up at the state house in matching t-shirts. And did they part of it, right? Is it, is part of it maybe the structure that we're in in order to, you know, try to get these types of resources? Yeah. Look, I think, I think that the office is in a difficult position, I think for a couple of reasons. First of all, if we're doing our job, right. You know, we're gonna we're gonna uh, break some eggs, right? right? We're gonna take on some some agencies that work for other parts of government. You know, the CRMC. We've been very vocal in our right. in our work there on on Block Island and really got that turned around. I already mentioned the DPC. You know, other other state agencies we've had you know frankly good relationships with health. Um, you know, I, I don't think they've always been where they needed to be, but on balance. I have a ton of respect for the people that help. DEM has stepped up and been a good partner. But sure, you know, look, when, when you are you, you are vocal in your criticism of a state agency that works for another branch of government, sure, that may not land you in a good place. Right. Um, you know, we don't have we don't have hired lobbyists. You know, we are we are just we are trying to convince people on the merits, John. And you know, I think particularly with this General Assembly, those arguments have landed. I think with Speaker Sakarchi, to his enormous credit, yeah. um, you know, he understands what it is we're asking for and why. Whether he'll be able to provide it, I don't know. But I at least credit him for having the willingness to sit down with me to have a one-on-one about why, you know, about really what I've spoken to you about. And same thing with the Senate President. Really grateful for that. And the House and Senate Finance uh, Committees, uh, Senator De Palmer. In, in particular, has been a strong advocate, you know, for us, and he sees why we need it. But you know, we're when you're arguing on the merits, right? Um, you don't have anything else in your in your bag of tricks, right? It's either we can convince you why we need these resources, or we can't. Uh, but it's not built on sort of relationships. Uh, uh, it's built on the merits, and that puts us often in a difficult spot. I mean, Speaker Mandiello and I just didn't really see eye to eye on anything, and I kind of knew. Uh, under those circumstances, there wouldn't be any resources forthcoming. But I will say that Governor Raimondo and I had a very good back and forth on my budget, and we were yeah. able to get a, a handful of positions with the blessing of the General Assembly under Speaker Sakarchi, and I was, of course, grateful for that. Well, General, you can also judge a state and administration and former government on what the priorities are. And again, nothing against, for instance, the correctional officers at the ACI, but I happen to know 
you know, their over overtime budget, not regular functioning, but mm-hmm. overtime budget was $30 million. And that's not regular budget salaries. I think it says something. You know, what does it say we're willing to give one group $30 million in overtime and they can't find an extra two and a half to for the people that are working to efficiently protect the people of the state? I, I think our priorities are a little backwards. Well, you know, I, all I can say, John, is that I, I see the people in the office and how hard they work. And none of them, you know, none of them have uh, civil service protection. They're all, you know, quote unquote, unclassified. So yep. they all serve, you know, at, at my pleasure, which means I can keep them or let them go at any moment, you know, unless it's obviously for reasons which are not lawful. But, you know, they're, they're not part of a union. I have look, I have great relationships with my friends in organized labor. But our, but our folks are there because they want to be. And they also know that if they don't deliver, but that, you know, that we evaluate them, you know, they are right. evaluated on their merits and, and we've let some people go, yep. you know, because they just haven't measured up to, because I can't afford, you know, I can't afford to have somebody in my organization, John, that isn't operating at a very high level. I just don't have enough people. It's not like you can't take the, the unproductive employee and stick them over there in the corner and say, okay, I'll just live with it for whatever reason. I just, I can't afford to do that. And that, and, and, you know, I think we saw that when I came in, you know, our screening intake unit where cases start was a real mess. I mean, remember, there were like 1,600 cases that were going nowhere. And it was really because we hadn't invested in that unit um, and because, frankly, personnel that had failed in other parts of the organization, you know, were failing there as well. And so, uh, you know, we moved on from them. And that was, a you know, glad I had that ability to do that. And, and that that operation today, you know, they're actually, if you look at the Providence Journal story that was done on me online over the weekend, you could, I actually took, I, I'm so proud of that unit, John, um, that I took them as I would take you, I took those journalists as I would take you through that intake unit to show them how they're operating because I'm so proud of them and how they've responded. With just a little bit of investment, and stepping up, you know, the lawyering, frankly, in that unit, they are just, you know, they're the ones who are charging those 4,000 cases every year before they're handed off to the prosecutors. And I'm just really proud of that group. You know, General, before I let you go, just two more quick questions. One is, and you're obviously familiar, I think people have to realize with law enforcement, one of the challenges is that it's it's always evolving. You know, things have moved more mm-hmm. online. Things There are more phone scams. There are more different types of online scams. There's, you know, suddenly they're stealing catalytic converters. I would imagine in your office, you also have to keep pace with criminals find new ways to commit crimes. Yeah, that's for sure, John. And then, of course, on the civil side, you know, we have gone for when I, so when I started, you know, uh, there was a limited number of documents that, that you had to deal with. Now, because uh, everything is electronic, everything is every, there's more paper everywhere. And so that means you really have to take, so you've got to take in a lot of electronic information or information in electronic form and scan it into a, a database so that you can manage that information while you're either defending the state or suing on behalf of the state. So that's why I really see big changes. It's almost like if you go to a law library and you look at, you know, uh, the law books, you know, the reported decisions from, say, the 60s or 70s, those volumes are kind of narrow. And then you go look at them from the 2000s and they're really thick. It's because of the of the invention of the word processor. Everybody says more now than they used to when you had to type it. And so as a result, there's just so much more paper. And, yeah, we need to – We always, on the criminal side, we always have to be reflexive. In fact, we're using – we've doubled our ballistics testing capacity because I bought an additional ballistics a testing machine, not with taxpayer funds, but with money that we recovered from drug dealers. And we're using that ballistics technology to solve crimes now in ways we weren't using it before. So, yeah, we're adapting. Our urban violent crime initiative is doing some great work going after the people that really drive crime. I'm so proud of the people in the office. I, you know, I, every day that I come to work, um, uh, I've never been more engaged and excited because I see how excited they are. They need help. I'm working really hard to try to get it for them. Um, we're going to continue to deliver for Rhode Islanders. General, finally, I just want to note, and I want to commend you, and I've already said this on the air, but the fact that you are, you know, you, you have to, you got to fish where the fish are, and it's 2023, <laughs> and the element of Twitter, it's, it's why, why is the New York Times on Twitter? Because that's where a crowd is. Why are all the local reporters, when people that aren't on it don't fully realize it, and I realize a lot has been, some, some has been written about it, even broadcast about it, but People and maybe you you don't even re- recognize most journalists now have your Twitter account on 
on notice that it immediately goes to them like an email in their inbox every time you put something so it's you know platforms have have always sometimes been if you've ever watched the crown this is the episode it's controversial the queen addresses the citizens of england on on christmas day but she won on television because that's where people were you it's right. the willie horton thing you gotta go where the money is you hire. so i want you to know you in the past what you pen an op-ed nothing against the providence journal but today how no, many reason. people are seeing it so right. i commend you for that and it's and 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 i hope the experience has been positive because i believe more public officials should be transparent and it's it's a fantastic tool to engage with not only local media but with all just regular people that happen to be on the platform well, John, look, I think t- today you can't wait to respond. No. I-, I think, when, frankly, when you're in a debate that really matters, and to yep. me, my resources really matter, and there's information out there that just doesn't jive with reality, I can't wait to put out a statement that I hope somebody picks up. No. I can't wait. I, you know, I've got to get it out there before the, you know, there's a runaway train on, on, on you, know, you know, precisely what I can or can't do with my resources, what my obligations are, why I'm asking for certain resources, you know. I'll give you an example. There's some narrative out there that my budget has increased by whatever, 18%. Well, you know, that 18%, 15% of it is because of uh, raises that were negotiated with state employees. So everybody in my office got a raise like every other state employee. Yep. There's never been a, an initiative by this governor. Uh, there's never been a, a budget by this governor that supported any of my initiatives. And so, you know, that's just a, that's just a, uh, you know, a line of, of information that I just disagree with. And I can't wait two days to respond to it or a day to respond to it and hope somebody picks it up. I gotta, I gotta call it out right away because I really feel like for my office now, this is the fight I've got to have. I've got to get these resources now in year five, or I won't be able to deliver before I'm gone. And I feel the same way about this job as I felt about you as attorney, that I'm going to push all the way through. I mean, my last four years aren't going to be spent at conferences and going on AG junkets and John, believe me, I could go on AG junkets every month if I wanted to. Right. I want to push through the tape and deliver for the people of the state. And I know that I've got a time limit. And so the sooner I get these people on board, I can get them working for Rhode Islanders. So there's no more important time for me than right now. And it's why I'm speaking out. And I hope speaking clearly and trying to generate interest in something which seems pretty arcane. In the past, I've asked for I've asked for resources and it's sort of been ho hum. He asked for resources. Two people showed up at the hearing, nobody cares. You know, through this medium, I've been able to get some people to at least pay attention to me, and and, and more importantly, the people in my office that are working so hard for Rhode Islanders every day. I think it's fantastic. Folks, again, he is Attorney General Peter Narona. General, great to talk to you. I know you have a little procedure coming up, so we wish you the the best (laughs) of health, and then I'll see you back out there. Thanks, my friend. Good to talk to you. Thank you, General. Next time you have an emergency, think AtMed Urgent Care. Two locations, 1524 Atwood Avenue, Johnston. That's right in the Atwood Medical Center. And also 5750 Post Road, East Greenwich, right across from Felicia's. AtMed Urgent Care, when you have an emergency, they specialize ambulatory medicine. They provide immunization, school, and sports physicals. At AtMed Urgent Care, they provide comprehensive outpatient health care to individuals families they're on duty at all times they're open seven days a week walk-in routine urgent care minor surgical now if you're in a car accident go to atment urgent care avoid the long wait at the emergency rooms they also do adult vaccinations laboratory testing atment urgent care when it's an emergency 1524 Atwood Avenue in Johnston. That's right, in the Atwood Medical Center. And also 5750 Post Road, East Greenwich, online at admedurgentcare.net. You're listening to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You could always listen online at the website, dePietro.com. Now, on the presidential front, how about this? President Trump is going to do a town hall meeting on CNN. First time on the network since 2016. Now, there's a lot of different... That's significant for several reasons. Number one, it shows a new CNN. Uh, CNN sees an opportunity 
Fox is weakened with the exodus of Tucker. It's a way for Trump to expand his base. Now, there's some people that may question that. Wait a minute. Trump's going to do a town hall on CNN? Well, keep in mind, in 2016, one of the reasons I believe, and we've talked about, that President Trump won the nomination and then won the presidency, he was getting coverage on CNN, MSNBC, and Fox. Now, I think the ship has sailed with MSNBC, but CNN sees an opening and an opportunity there, and President Trump does as well. Fox is wounded by Tucker, and the ratings are showing that. However, by going on CNN, he reaches a different audience. I think people will tune in to CNN, and no one could took more of the brunt of abuse than CNN did. But Caitlin Collins is going to um, host the town hall with President Trump. She's a good reporter. It's funny. I met her, Caitlin Collins, in New Hampshire in 2020 at the Trump rally in Nashua. And that was the night before the New Hampshire primary, before the pandemic and everything came crashing down. So it's really significant that President Trump is doing this because he's not going on Fox and he's kind of been at war at Fox, and it's a way for him to get major exposure. I think CNN is going to get major ratings out of this, um, and probably it'll be the highest-rated segment that CNN will do in quite some time. CNN has new leadership. They just fired Don Lemon. They want to reset. I think CNN, for the 2024 presidential election, they want to be in the mix and they want to turn the page. And one of the ways, look at how the two, two that kind of need each other. President Trump, because of the Tucker Carlson thing, he wants to expand his base outside of Fox. And he wants it something different than Newsmax. And there enter CNN that needs some ratings. They want to have the Republicans on. So I think this will follow. CNN may do a town hall meeting with Ron DeSantis. They may do one with Nikki Haley. CNN realizes it's in their best interest to to be able to get just in, and get the Republican candidates on as well. Not from what we understand, Governor DeSantis is not going on MSNBC and NBC. Now, as far as the race for 2024, the governor of Virginia, Glenn Youngkin, he has announced he's not running. I think and, and I'm not sure. I think he's a very effective, would be a very effective candidate. Um Again, he won a brilliant election against Terry McAuliffe to become the governor of Virginia. I think he, he just doesn't, he's kind of doing the wise thing. He doesn't see a lane. I'm not saying there isn't a lane. He just doesn't see one. And maybe they poll it and look at it and they say, as long as President Trump is a force and is in line, then then what's the point here? Right? Glenn Youngkin, the guy's, I think he's 55. So you, you sit tight, say on the sidelines, and then you wait for 28. The person that's really struggling to me is Governor DeSantis. He is. Um, it's very possible he's not ready for prime time. And maybe he is Scott Walker. A lot of people were, you know, as I've said, you never know till you see them on the debate stage. You can't count out President Trump. I think the CNN move is, is really smart on behalf of President Trump, and it's also really wise on behalf of CNN. So it's going to be 9 o'clock on CNN in New, in New Hampshire, and... This is a chance that CNN might beat Hannity. And think of that. I think President Trump makes himself more attractive to Fox by going on CNN. And CNN is then going to see an opening here. Um, maybe you can't be Fox, but you could certainly be an alternative and get some of the Republican candidates to come on. So you have people both kind of need each other. President Trump needs CNN and CNN needs President Trump. And thus, think of that. President Trump, of all the Jim Acosta and everything else, fake news, and President Trump is going to do a town hall meeting on CNN. Falcon Pest Services, 12 months of the year, you could have a pest problem. Serving Rhode Island and Massachusetts called Falcon Pest Services today, 401-739-1322. Free consultation, 401 739 1322 locally owned and operated serving rhode island and southeastern mass they offer services for termites 
bedbugs, ants, roaches, mice, rats, in the summertime, spring, fall, mosquitoes, and many other pests. Call today for a free consultation, whether it's for your home or a restaurant. Maybe it's once a year. Maybe it's once a month. Call Falcon Pest Services today. Free consultation, 401 739 1322 residential and commercial whether it's an office building a school a hotel a restaurant or your home call falcon pest services today free consultation 401-739-1322 get the most of your outdoor space with limitless outdoors Call today for a free quote, 401-580-1852. Limitless Outdoors, they specialize in patios, walkways, steps. They did a fantastic job on my outside steps. Outdoor kitchens, landscape lighting, retaining walls, lawn installations, excavation. Call Limitless Outdoors today. Let's dream, build, and enjoy. 401 401- 580-1852. Based in Smithfield, Limitless Outdoors. They also do indoor fireplaces or outdoor fireplaces. Limitless Outdoors. Call them today. Free quote. Get the most of your outside. You're going to love what they can do for you. 401-580-1852. 401-580-1852. Limitless Outdoors. Dream. Build enjoy thing to the john DePietro show it's am 1380 99.9 fm remember you can always listen online at our website dipetro.com folks visit the website on the website you'll see all our links to social media whether it's facebook or youtube instagram even tiktok plus you, if you want to reach me, that's the best way to do it. We have unique, original stories, videos, content. Log on right at the website, dipetro.com. Propane Plus in Rhode Island for all your propane needs. Call them 401 885 4209. In Massachusetts, you can reach them at 508 508- 252-3359 propane heating and cooling it's propane plus their team's been there three generations they're available 24 7 for service and delivery and they plan on serving you for a long time to come they offer online billing ability to schedule a service delivery at the click of a button and remember all customers receive a free safety inspection on their equipment it's propane plus and remember with propane it's affordable sustainable equitable good for the environment and now it's renewable call propane plus today at 401-885-4209 in massachusetts call them at 508-252-3359 they're very easy to navigate website it's propaneplus.com propane plus call them 401-885-4209 